Well, good evening. It's great to have you here tonight. Thanks for taking the time to join us. And so glad that you're here. Let me ask this, because I'm not exactly sure how we played out. We're, when, when you came in tonight, were there still handouts out there to pick up? Did anybody not get one? You didn't get them. So, um, Ben, do you think we could get some more? You, you are the man. Awesome. We'll get some more coming your way here shortly in just a couple of minutes and that will be awesome and uh and we'll go from there okay while we're getting a few more handouts coming i'll set us up with where we're going here's here's number one and i'll I'll put this out as a kind of a caveat or a warning or something i i got in the last few weeks i got new contact lenses and they're for old people i think i'm not sure all I know, no, 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 here's, here's, no, 702 and I'm already in trouble. Here's, here's the deal. I'm, I'm saying this because the, the doctor says to me, you, you, you need something different to be able to read better with, because I've always not been able to see far away, but she says, as you're aging, you're going to need to do something different. And then she laughed at me, which I didn't think was very Christian. And so I don't know where she goes to church. Won't be here, I can tell you that. But you know, that's the. No, no, I'm just kidding. If the, I'm just kidding. So, um, so, but it's like, and I, I, my friend Chris, I think has this. One eye sees far away, one eye sees close up. But what it means is neither eye sees good. So um, this is the first time that I've tried to speak with them, and so we'll see if it works or not. And uh, if it's not good tonight, then you can blame that. How's that sound? Amen. All right, we'll do that. All right, cool. Second thing. Here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to do three things tonight. A little bit different from a Sunday morning. Because on a Sunday morning, we run with a really tight schedule. Because we've got the three services. We've got that little window of time in between. And so we're really... We've got a little bit more freedom tonight. Tonight's going to be a little bit less um, structured, time-sensitive, and, uh, and, and I don't know, administrative... And tonight what we're going to do is really just three things. First thing we're going to do is we're just going to take some time and walk through Scripture. Um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit tonight. And, and of all the different topics that you can talk about in Scripture, theologically, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, it is one that can be very contentious for people. People have heard a lot of different things. People have been taught a lot of different things. And so when you come to that subject, it can have the tendency to be um, maybe even divisive for some people at times. So when we talk about this, I think the best place for us to go is to God's Word, right? And so that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take time. We're going to talk about Scripture. We're going to walk through what Scripture says. Then we're going to take some time to worship the Lord together. We've got the freedom of time to do that. And then we're going to take some time to pray together. Here's, here's my, my absolute um, goal, I guess, for tonight. It's that you will be open tonight to what God wants to do in your life. And that you won't try to, on your own, quantify it in advance or tell God what he can or cannot do. But that you would be open and that somehow, remember our operative word right now as we're going through this series is more, right? That somehow you will be open to God's power at work more in your life tonight when you leave here than it was when you came in here. Wouldn't that be cool? And I don't know what you paid for the tickets in here tonight, but if that doesn't happen, you get your money back. How's that sound? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. That's, that's our purpose and that's our hope for tonight. So we'll, we'll be doing that. Gives us some time to slow down a little bit. Um, every so often I get a chance, you know, a lot of times in, in my role, I meet people in the atrium 
And it's just, it's super quick, right? You just kind of shake hands and you talk and you get to know people in, in parts and pieces. And then sometimes you get to spend a little bit of time with them and you get to know them a little bit better. And, uh, and then you begin to develop more of a relationship. You know what I'm talking about? You have a coworker and you, you just see them in passing. But then maybe one day you're able actually to sit down and have lunch with them and you hear more of their story. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I, I, I know more about this person. For some of us, so much of our life with God is just in passing. It might just be Sunday mornings, or it might even be a relationship that at one time was healthy, but it's, it's fizzled. I, I don't know what it might be. But tonight, my hope is, just like kind of lunch with a coworker, you get to slow down for a few minutes and spend time in the Lord's presence that when you walk out of here tonight, you're going to say, I know God more. The Holy Spirit is more active in my life, and, uh, and we're excited for that. So let's do this. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. We'll look at some scriptures. We're gonna, we've got a handout for you here tonight that'll help you and we'll go from there. So Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that as we've seen in your word these last couple of weeks, you are a God who wants to do more in our lives. You want us to know you more God, you want to empower us to be the witnesses that you've called and created us to be. You want to strengthen us so that we can be victorious in life. God, you want to give us the the, the wisdom and the understanding and the ability to be able to touch our world through your power that's at work in us. And Lord, that's something you want to do in your church, and that's something you want to do in our individual lives. So, Father, I pray for these moments that we're together tonight. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, be here in a powerful way? Lord, would you speak to us? God, would you challenge us? Lord, my, my hope is that tonight you would do something in our individual hearts. God, not what we can just do by presentation or what we can just do by talking, but Lord, what only you can do by your spirit, because it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by your spirit that work is done in our lives. And so I pray, you, God, you know where every person in this room is. And Father, you know what they need from you tonight. And so, Father, I I pray that in a very powerful way, you would speak to each one of us. And we pray this to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. So would this all be for your glory tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know. Do we, we don't have the handouts ready yet, do we? I think they're still being, uh, still being printed up. Here's what you're going to get, and we'll distribute them here in just a couple of minutes, is I've, I've broken what we're going to talk about tonight into just kind of six big chunks and scriptures to go with them. And typically, we would put the scriptures kind of up on the screens, and you'd be able to see them there. What I want you to have tonight is something that you can actually take with you when you leave here. So that, that will help you and so that you, I'm, I'm kind of in a certain sense forcing you to have the scriptures right there in front of you as we talk tonight. And, and that we're, we're, we're working with the scriptures as we talk. Does that make sense? So that's what we're going to do here tonight as, as we go through this and as we talk about these things. Some of this, for some of you, you, you may go, ah, I already know this. And for some of you, you may go, hey, this seems brand new to me. Whatever it is, uh, let's hope that this is um, something that God can really use to, to shape each one of us. So Sunday we talked about how God wants to do more in our lives and that more comes from God. And then we looked at how the promise was in Acts chapter 1 that that would come to us through the Holy Spirit. And we talked in particular about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. And, and we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit brings more of God to us. The Holy Spirit is God, right? Do we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it or as a he? <laughs> as a he, he's a person. He is, he is God 
in, in revealed to us in this role of his in the Trinity. And we understand that we, he brings more of God to us. We talked about how the Holy Spirit helps us to have understanding. We talked about how the Holy Spirit can empower us. And we talked about the fact that it's up to us to move forward in that relationship. That if we want more, we must pray more. We must seek it, right? And we talked about that. We talked about how the Holy Spirit is described in Scripture as a gift that God is going to give to us. It's a gift for each one of us as believers. And we looked at these different Scriptures as we talked about this. So what we're going to do is jump in tonight, and, uh, and we'll go back to some of the things we looked at Sunday, and then we'll move forward from there. And the first kind of big chunk, the first big area that I want to talk to you about is this idea of the promise that Scripture gives to us about how God would send to us, would give to us the Holy Spirit. So if you, if you have your Bibles and you don't have a handout yet, you can turn there, maybe a digital or print form, and uh, we'll get these handouts to you. But I want to go ahead and, and kind of start us rolling. The first scripture that we'll look at is right from Acts chapter 1, and it's the passage that we read on Sunday in what Jesus said to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 1, let's look at verses 4 through 8. Um, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to use what I like to refer to as the ADD approach to scripture, all right? So as we're going through it, when, when there's something we need to talk about, we'll just kind of stop and go back and squirrel. If we need to do that, well, that'll be our approach. Does that sound okay? All right, here we go. Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's, let's rewind this. Jesus knew that he'd be leaving, and he wanted to give to the disciples something that would help them to accomplish their purposes. I was, I was talking with someone even just today. And one of his major concerns his life, in this life is that in his ability that he has, he wants to make sure that when his life is over, he has left something of value for his family. Does that make sense? He wants to make sure that through his business and through his finances, and even more through his faith and his testimony, that when he breathes his last, he leaves something of a value of great heritage to pass on to his kids. I've watched a couple of churches lately that have gone through what we'd refer to as pastoral transitions. And one that is in a place that, that when the pastor that's there right now either resigns or retires or passes away or whatever, that church is going to continue just to move forward. And I know others that when there's that time for that change, that church is going to struggle because these two pastors have thought differently about the future, right? And one of them has made plans. And he just knows that when my day's over... I want the church to be stronger in the future and not be hindered because I'm gone. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that in mind, Jesus says, look, boys, what we just did the last three years is just getting the church started. He says, we just got this thing up and running. He says, I want to give you everything that you need for the future. In fact, we'll use the word here in just a moment, inheritance. 
It's this beautiful inheritance that Jesus says, I'm going to leave to you. And it's in the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, he brings the very presence of God. So in the same way that the disciples were used to experiencing the presence of God because Jesus was with them, when Jesus isn't with them, they'll still have that. It's this, it's this powerful thing. It's like spiritual FaceTime, right? You know, we have that on our phones. We have Skype, we have FaceTime. We can communicate with people anytime in any way now. That's technology we couldn't have even conceived 10, 15, 20 years ago. And spiritually, Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, I'm going to give you something that is going to be with you at all times. And it probably blew their minds. How, how does this work? How do we figure this out? And he talks about this gift. He talks about them. And I think this is interesting terminology. Look what he says in verse 5 there. He says, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not just receive it, but he talks about this almost immersion of empowerment. There's going to be this experience that you're going to have that is going to, in a certain sense, it's going to cover you. It's going to overpower you. That image of baptism is something that you see in Scripture that involves when, when you, you are covered in something, right? When you're immersed in something and the change that that brings. And he says, that's what's going to come. That's what I'm going to bring to you. So here's, here's where we want to be um, wise about how we talk about this. Because whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit... And depending on what your faith tradition is and where you come from and maybe a church background, people use this in a lot of different ways. And we can get caught up in semantics because we use phrases like filled with the Holy Spirit. And that phrase means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Here's, let's, let's go back and talk about this scripturally. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we ask Jesus into our hearts, when we're saved, when we have the transformative salvation experience, does the Holy Spirit live inside of us, yes or no? Yes, that's biblical. Watch this. John chapter 20, verse 21. You've got this on the sheet. And do we, do we have the sheets ready to hand out? Or they're still being made? Ben, you got them? Ladies and gentlemen, would you give it up for Dr. Ben Keller tonight who has these here? Awesome. If you need one, can you raise your hand? Oh. Wow. Yeah. Let's tell Ben to go back at it. Huh. We didn't know what to expect tonight, so thanks for being here. The reason you don't have one is your own fault for showing up, right? I mean, this is, uh, this is awesome. Thank you. We, we'll get more coming. So thanks, Ben. And Ben, that was exactly 120 hands. I counted. Did not. I don't know what it'll make. Okay, so thank you, Leah. If you, if you need one, just kind of Leah's coming down there, and maybe even if somebody would want to help her out, that would be awesome, and we'll get more, we'll get more coming. Okay. So here's the deal. When, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, right? We already, we already talked about that. Okay, here's, here's a couple of scripture references. John chapter 20, verse 21. Take a look at what Jesus said. This is after his resurrection. He is there with the disciples. He has appeared to them. And it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So many theologians believe that this is kind of, and, and um, those of you that have your hands raised in faith, you can put them down until faith shows back up. How's that sound? Because it's, we'll be a minute. Okay. Um, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And many theologians believe that this is probably kind of that first salvation experience that took place for the disciples. And Jesus highlights here that in that moment, there is this transfer of the Holy Spirit coming to reside inside of them. Paul gives this to us with a little bit more clarity in the book of Ephesians. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So here's what Paul's saying. You, you've received salvation. You have forgiveness. You have grace. You have the promise of heaven. But until you get to heaven and fully realize this promise, what you have today is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So sometimes when we talk about more of the Holy Spirit, there are some people who kind of put their defenses up and want to say, but I already have the Holy Spirit. And the answer to that is, yes. Do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you are a believer? The answer is... Can you have more? (laughs) Yes. And that's what this encounter, that's what this experience is all about. So I don't want to get all caught up in semantics of being filled with the Holy Spirit and who's filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? All this kind of thing. Here's what I want you to focus on tonight. I believe that God has more for you no matter who you are, no matter what you've already experienced. That's cool, right? Okay, so with that in mind, let me, let me tell you a little bit about who we are. If you've maybe not been around Calvary for a while, or if you've not gone through our membership class, one of the things that are part of what we believe theologically is we would refer to ourselves as a Pentecostal church. And we'll talk about the word Pentecostal here in just a moment. Here's basically what that means. If you want to bring it down to a nutshell, it means this, that when we read the Bible, and we see, in particular in the book of Acts, When we see what God did for people in the book of Acts, we believe that God's still doing those same things today. So in some some churches or some faith traditions, people might believe that there's some things that you read in Scripture that um, happened 2,000 years ago, but they don't happen anymore. In particular, one of those is uh, maybe in the area of healing. There's some places, churches, theologies that, that believe that there was healing that took place in Bible times, but that God really doesn't heal people anymore. I'm, I'm prone to believe this, that if it's in the book, God's still doing it. How's that sound? Is that good? So just today, I heard a powerful story about someone who received divine healing because people were praying. In fact, in the last hour, I've had an opportunity to pray with some friends because they need healing. Why? Because we believe that Jesus is our healer, Right? So, so if it's in the book, we believe that. We believe that God is still setting people free. We believe that there's still deliverance that happens. We believe that God is still changing people's lives. And as we read through, and we'll see this tonight, as we look at the book of Acts, we believe that God is still, as he did in the book of Acts, as Jesus promised in Acts 1, 4 through 8, he's still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. And if you need one word to describe what that spiritual experience is, I think the best word is more. <laughs> He has more for us. He wants us to experience this. And, and it's, it's this unique experience that we'll talk about here tonight. We believe it's an experience you can have. Now, for some of you, when we talk about this idea of being a Pentecostal church, the first thing that came to your mind is, I've heard about Pentecostals. They're weird. <laughs> We're not weird. In just a few moments, we will be passing out snakes. But it's fine, okay? It's going to be all fine, okay? So we, we, we don't do that. All right? I don't know. Earthworms every now and again. But that's, that's it. That's it. Okay? So there's, there's not that. But sometimes when we talk about these spiritual things, we use them as um, like spiritual badges of authority or superiority. And we want to say, I got more of God than someone else. Or I'm more spiritual than somebody of another denomination. 
or I've had this spiritual experience, so that makes me closer to God than those who have not had that spiritual experience. And I think God just at times shakes his head and looks at us and says, what are you people thinking? In fact, sometimes I think we make our theology harder than God ever intended for it to be. Do we need good theology? Absolutely. We got to know what we believe. We got to know what we don't believe. But I do think there's times when God says to us, boys, you're making this harder than I ever intended for it to be. Trust me and let my spirit be at work in your life as it lines up with biblical principles. And it's not a matter of whether or not you have the Holy Spirit or your theology is right, this kind of thing. Tonight, I just, I want to encourage you to be open to say, Jesus, if you are the baptizer, I want everything that you have for me. And I want more in my life. And we're not going to get caught up in, in some of those other things. Okay, who, who else needs a handout? Anybody else? Oh, okay. Glad we're here till 10 tonight. This is awesome. You knew we were here till 10, right? Okay, all right. I'm leaving at 8.30. You can stay as long as you want, but, but I'm leaving. Okay, so let's talk about, let's talk. Okay, we got more coming. We got more coming. Let's talk about the experience that happened to the disciples. Okay, so we're going to go back to the Bible. What happened? Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power. The Holy Spirit will come on you. So what then happened when they had this experience? So look at Acts chapter 2. We'll talk about this uh, for the next few moments. And we'll go from the promise that God gave to us to talking about the experience that they had. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Let's stop there for just a moment. Pentecost was a feast that the Jewish people celebrated. Sometimes you'll hear it uh, referred to as the Feast of Weeks. You'll hear it some different ways. But it was this Feast of Pentecost. It, it had this idea of 50 days after Passover. So we know that Jesus died at the Passover time. He was with his disciples for 40 days. Ten days later, after Jesus ascended, was the Feast of Pentecost. And on this day, you've got to understand, in the Jewish calendar, they had all these times when people were encouraged, wherever they lived in the world, to go to Jerusalem kind of on a pilgrimage. And they would come so that they could celebrate, so that they could worship together. So in this time, in Jerusalem, there were thousands of people who were there who usually would not have been there. And they were there for this festival. Kind of imagine, um, Jan, are you all out? Oh, man. The world is against you. Have you noticed this? You have no idea. Yeah, sorry. Um, But there's more tonight, sister. There's... Okay. Um, People would come from all over the world for this, for this Feast of Pentecost. If you dig into the Old Testament, there is... And we don't have time for this tonight. But there's all this symbolism that connects the Feast of Pentecost back to the Holy Spirit. It was on the the Pentecost day during this feast that the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in a minute, is poured out on the disciples. And those that believe that this is still happening today belong to what we would refer to as a Pentecostal church. That's where that term comes from. It goes back to that. Ken, we've got got a bunch of folks right down here too. If you've got enough, it would be awesome. Um, And so it says that they were all together. Unity is a powerful part of any move of God. And it says that they were in one place. And they'd been in that one place for about 10 days, we can, we can deduce. Does anybody remember from Sunday, what were they doing while they were waiting? Does anybody remember? They were praying. They were seeking the gift that God said he was going to give to them. They were looking for what he had to offer them. 
So let's go back. Verse 2 of of Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Wind, just for frame of reference, throughout Scripture is symbolic of the presence of God. And there's times when God refers to himself or pictures himself with this idea of wind. So suddenly the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Fire throughout scripture, just kind of for frame of reference, is also a symbol of the presence of God, right? Have you seen that? So we know this. God is, God is identifying himself in this. So you've got the sound of a blowing wind. You've got these, what, what appear to be tongues of fire that separate and come to rest on each of them. And just for a moment, can you imagine this? I mean, if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, you've probably read this more than once, which means at some point we start, to, um, we start to forget how significant this is. Take a minute, think about this. You're with your friends. Yeah, you're praying. Yeah, you're expecting. Yeah, you're kind of spiritually chilling. And then all of a sudden, sound of a violent wind, and you look over at Bob, and he's got fire on his head. And you'd be freaking out, except Bob's freaking out because you got it on yours too. Right? Imagine this moment. Verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So in that moment, in this moment, is where we see scripturally where the disciples received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, this is what we talked about. We got people from all over. So how many, how many people still need a... There's, there's going to be a revolt on the front row, I think, Leah, if you, if you don't start down here. And why I'm worried about that is because they're close to me. So thank you. Very, you're awesome. Thank you. Okay, verse 5. Now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, when they heard this sound... A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Toledo, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews, I just wondered if you were listening, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Here's what's so extraordinary about this, okay? You've got people from all over the world. They're all speaking these different languages. And all of a sudden, the disciples come out of this room where they were at. There's 120 of them up in this upper room. All of a sudden, they come out, and they start speaking in these languages that they have not learned, that they do not know. What did it say? They begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit empowers them. So it's, it's like this, and, and just, just for the record, so we get this out there, to our natural minds, the things we're talking about tonight are kind of Twilight Zone-ish, right? It's a little bit out there. This is supernatural. This isn't your normal stuff. So they come out in the streets and they start speaking these languages, okay, that, um, that they've not learned, but they're saying it to people who are from the places on the globe where these languages are spoken. Why this was so extraordinary is because the Galileans were not the most refined and civilized people. It would be like if you're in a fine restaurant in Paris and the boys from Duck Dynasty walk in. All right? 
and start ordering in perfect French. And you're like, I know those guys don't know that language. Just take a look at them. Look at those beards. They're not French. I mean, you would know that. Look, these guys are dressed like Galilean fishermen. These aren't cultured professionals who have traveled the world. And all of a sudden, they're speaking in these languages. And the people from these places who are in Jerusalem to worship for Pentecost are saying to themselves, what's going on here? How is this happening? Look at verse 12. It says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? So they had this incredible spirit of empowerment that allowed them to do two things. And this will be key for us. Just if you're, I left a bunch of space over on the side that if you're taking notes at all, you can just scratch some stuff down over there on the, on the sides just as you're going. So here's what's so key about this. When God empowered them, what were the two things that they did? First thing they did was worship God, right? The words that came out of their mouth were worshiping God. They were glorifying him. They were speaking of, how, how does it say this? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It, it stirred something up inside of them. But they were also, they weren't just worshiping, they were witnessing. God was empowering them to accomplish his purpose through them. Pretty extraordinary if you think about it. And that's what was happening in that moment. That was the experience that they had. That in that moment, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak in tongues. The Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit empowers them to do that. And in that, God is worshiped. People have a witness of who God is, and that takes place. And then watch verse 13. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now, let's, let's take this out of the spiritual realm for just a moment and just talk about life, okay? This is, without a doubt, one of the most extraordinary moments in all of Scripture. If you think about it, God has poured out his spirit on humanity this is the birth of the church this is the fulfillment as we'll see in a moment of a promise that god gave hundreds of years before it is it is this amazing truth that we see here and there's a group of people who all they can do is make fun of it yeah this is nothing they've just had too much wine have you ever noticed when something good is happening in your life there will always be people who will either put it down or dismiss it. Isn't that true? And you and I are so prone in those moments to listen to those toxic voices. Something's good in my life. God's blessed me in a certain way. Uh, okay, so let's just, let's just be honest, all right? If, if at the end of the service on Sunday... This is just me being vulnerable with you, Edie, for just a moment. If that's okay, nobody else is listening because that'll help me. So, okay, at the end of a service on Sunday, if I walked out and you were all lined up there high-fiving me and saying, Pastor, that was the best message I have ever heard, and you look wonderful. Like if that was what was happening, all right? If that was taking place. <laughs> and I got down to the end of the line, and one person looked at me and said, you went too long today, which is probably true. Um... Do you know what I'd think about for the rest of the day? You went too long today. Those negative voices, they get in our head. God did a miraculously amazing thing. One of the most incredible moments in all of history. And there was still a group of people who said, eh, they're probably just drunk. They've probably just had too much wine. Two thoughts from that. Number one, realize that when something good is happening in your life, there will always be people who are going to dismiss it or put it down, right? Isn't that true? 
take that even further. When God is doing something unique, there will always be those who will dismiss it or try to squelch it. It's just a reality. It happens even in these incredible historic moments. And sometimes when God wants to do something in our lives, we're quick to say, well, I don't know about that, or I don't know if I believe that, or I don't know what's going to happen, if, or I'm gonna, and I'm not so sure that's real, or I'm not. And the reality of the situation is this, that when God wants to do something, we can't always expect that everybody's going to understand. When God wants to do something, we can't always think that there will be fanfare. Does that, does that make sense? And it's really key for us to see that that was a part of their experience. Okay, so, so let's, let's talk about this. First, we talked about the promise, that, that God promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then we looked at their experience. What happened that turned the disciples from this kind of clueless group in Acts chapter 1 to this empowered group in Acts chapter 2? We'll come back to this in a moment. They had this experience, but this was not the only experience that we see in the book of Acts. Oftentimes people will say that this experience that happened was just for then and that it's not for today. In fact, maybe you even come from a faith background that would teach that being filled with the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit is something that was just for biblical times that God's not still doing that today. I would, I would beg to differ with you on a couple of fronts. We'll look at this scripturally tonight. But one is that when we take the book of Acts... And in the Bible, the book of Acts is a pattern for us, not just of history, but also of theology, that when we take the book of Acts, there's a pattern there that shows that God consistently and repeatedly fills people, baptizes people in the Holy Spirit. So let's look at this pattern. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And remember, a lot of these people are the same people who we read about in Acts 2. This is the disciples. This is the church. They've been going through some real persecution And they're praying and asking God to help them in the midst of persecution. And watch this, verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. We don't know if that's um, like spiritually shaken. Like, you know, there was the spiritual dynamic. Or we don't know if the whole place physically just kind of trembled. We just know what scripture says. And, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Which tells us this. For some of us, we would say, well, look, I, I went to a camp when I was 15, and uh, when I was there, I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and that was pretty cool. And so I wrote it down, and I checked it off my spiritual bucket list, and then we're done. And what this reminds us is, is that God is in the business of continuing, continually filling us with his Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, next passage, Acts chapter 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So here's just a little bit of background to help us. Philip was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. There was persecution, and he knew that if he didn't get out of town, he'd probably die. So Philip loaded up the minivan, and he drove to Samaria, and he set up shop there because he was trying to get away from the persecution that was coming to the church. While he was there, he starts telling them about Jesus. What's significant about that is that the Jewish people, which Philip was, hated the Samaritan people, which is who the people were that lived in Samaria. But he couldn't help but tell them about God. He couldn't help but tell them about Christ and forgiveness and salvation. And so the people in Samaria begin to believe in Jesus. So they have put their faith and their trust in him. So Philip sends an email back to Jerusalem. He says, boys, this is new. This has not happened before. There are people who are accepting Christ 
in Samaria. So Philip and John, who were kind of like the, the leaders of the church, said, we got to go check this out. So they go from Jerusalem to Samaria to see what's happening. They heard of it. They sent there, verse 15. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So these people have already believed, but now Peter and John are praying for them to receive the Holy Spirit. They're praying for them not to have the Holy Spirit or to be you know, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We've already read that happens when you become a believer, but for this, I don't know, the, the best way to say it might be this, this subsequent experience where they experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, look at that again. So Peter and John lay their hands on them, and then this dude Simon, we'll talk about him in a moment. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he saw something, Simon offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Who was Simon? He was a magician. He was a sorcerer. You you may even have said he's kind of like the town witch doctor 2,000 years ago. Everybody looked at him as like a spiritual authority. Well, he, he also was enamored by this whole thing about Christ. He begins to kind of believe. He's trying to figure it all out. Peter and John show up, and when they place hands on people, something happens that shows that these people were filled with the Holy Spirit Simon pulls out his wallet. Remember, he's a magician, right? And he goes, look, I'm always looking for a good trick. I'm always looking to buy something that's going to astound people. So how much for that trick? Because that's something I want to learn. Just for the record, it's probably worth more than five bucks. Just for the record, um, is God cool with people trying to buy his power? (laughs) Okay, good. I just want to get that out there. Um, There was something that happened that Simon saw when they were filled with the Holy Spirit that challenged him to say, look, I want to see that too. I want to know what that is. I want to receive that that same gift. So here's what we know. In Jerusalem, people were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they had another experience in Acts 4. It happened more than once. In Acts 8, it's the people in Samaria. And when they were filled... There was some kind of sign. There was something that happened that showed that this was happening. Let's, let's move on to the next kind of step in this pattern, and maybe it'll help us to investigate this a little bit more. Look at verse, or chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Now, Peter is not um, in Jerusalem or Samaria. He's actually in the home of a Gentile, which is an even bigger deal, because especially at this time, did Jews and Gentiles hang out? No, they didn't. But this Gentile comes and sends for Peter and says, I want to know what you're talking about. And uh, you can read Acts 10 to get the whole picture of this. But Peter's preaching in this guy's house. And while Peter was still speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's the Jewish people, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. So this experience this pattern happens again these people receive it verse 46 for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising god then peter said surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water they have received the holy spirit just as we have 
So there's this experience that happens to them after they've believed. And the sign that Peter brings up here is this idea of speaking in tongues. You saw it in Acts 2. You know there was something in Acts 8 because Simon wanted to buy it. Now in Acts 10, the the sign that kind of says, hey, this happened, is that they were speaking in tongues. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 15. This is a little while later, Peter's explaining to his peers what happened at this Gentile house. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So there's this pattern that's happening that over and over again, when people believe, they then experience, maybe a little while later, maybe right away, they then experience this empowerment from the Holy Spirit that comes on them. And we can kind of begin to deduce that there's, there's this sign, there's this pattern, there's this something that happens, and this idea of speaking in other tongues. Let's look at verse uh, 1 of Acts 19, that next passage there on the top of the page. This is a different person. Now it's not Peter, it's Paul. And this is a different part of the world. He's now not in Israel. He's in what is now the modern-day nation of Turkey. And he's in a city called Ephesus. And it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, which means they were believers, right? And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, nah, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Well, John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So this, this experience of someone experiencing more of God, more of the Holy Spirit, was not this random thing. When we read through the book of Acts, we see that there's this pattern that at very significant junctures, it happened over and over and over and over again. And so it's this pattern that as we look at Scripture, we also, and we'll see this here in just a moment, we have no reason to believe that God is not still doing that today. Does that make sense? I think it's important for us to recognize that what he did in the book of Acts, he's still doing today, and he's allowing us to have this empowerment, this experience of more of his spirit in our lives. Why? What's the purpose? Well, that's that next chunk that we'll look at of Scripture. So we've talked about the promise, we've talked about the experience, we've talked about this pattern that we see. So what's the purpose of this? Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter, remember this is the day of Pentecost, Peter and the boys have, have just uh, experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I say the boys, I, I, I shouldn't say it that way, actually. That's probably, one, not biblical, and two, it wasn't just boys. That's just me being too lazy to say the disciples and the women and every believer that was with them, the 120. So is that all right if I just say the boys? I'm already in trouble from the beginning of the service, so it's fine. All right, here we go. So Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, we're talking hundreds of years before. Joel wrote, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That phrase, in the last days, has to do with the time after the Messiah has come, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, in the last days. Are we living in the last days? Okay, all right, cool. Verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now some of that has to do with the end times, and we've talked about that in the last month or two. But some of that also has to do with today. And what was so significant was the prophet Joel was a prophet. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak to people and to tell them God's truth hundreds of years before Jesus came, right? But not everybody was a prophet. Not everybody had that relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not everybody had that empowerment. And what Joel prophesied is this. He says, look, in the last days, when those last days come, God says, I will pour out my spirit, not just on select people, not just on super spiritual people, not just on lucky people. I will pour out my spirit on, what did he say? On all people. So this, this intimate relationship that we can have with the Holy Spirit, this empowerment that he brings to us, was not something that was readily known in the Old Testament, but because of what Jesus did in making things right between us and God, and God sending them the Holy Spirit, it's something that you and I can experience today. We can know that empowerment. We can know his strength. Everything from the way that he strengthens us in our lives today to what he said here about things like being able to prophesy and knowing how the Holy Spirit is leading us. It is, what's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Or or the purpose of this, this whole thing we're talking about? Well, it's the outpouring of God's Spirit on all people. It's empowerment for believers. Remember we talked about that Sunday? We don't want our lives to be dead in the water. And it equips us to be able to do God's work in the last days. And so this is, this is very significant when we look at this. And, and Peter's saying, look, I'm taking this Old Testament prophecy and I'm tying it into what God is doing today. So what was the result of that? What, what's the result when we talk about this? And that's that next chunk. Let's go back, back to Acts chapter 2. You can go back and read kind of the, the 16 verses that are there in between Peter preaches a sermon about Christ and he speaks to them about who he was. And then, verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Have you ever, I don't know, this has happened to me. Have you ever heard somebody preach? Or have you ever heard um, maybe somebody speak to you about God? Or have you ever, this is cool, you ever been reading God's word and all of a sudden, it's, it doesn't hit you here, but it gets you here. Does that make sense? Like, there's a difference. It's not just, ah, oh, this makes sense. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's wonderful. And sometimes it's like, ouch, that hurts. That's, that's what he means when he says, cut to the heart. There's these times when it just gets us. That's how we know that it's the Holy Spirit at work, right? 
So it says here that when, pe- when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And watch this, verse 39 is really important. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all on whom the Lord our God will call. Oftentimes, and maybe you've heard this in a, in a faith tradition that you've come out of, people will say, okay, well, when you read through the book of Acts, that was really cool, and that kind of happened back then, but God's not doing those same things today. He's not doing those same things now. He doesn't work those same things in our lives today, and we dismiss that. But when you read what Peter said here, he said in verse 39, he says, the promise is for you and for your children and until the end of the first century, and then God's not doing that stuff anymore. Is that what it says? No. I mean, and he uses words like, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So when he says all, what do you think he means? <laughs> thanks, Bob. That was, woke me up. So yeah, thanks. That's, he means all. It's for, for everyone. With many other words, verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And watch this. What's the result? Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a little bit of church growth, right? It's not for a moment about the number. It's about the life change. And it's about what God does in people's hearts. Verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's a really interesting description there about the beginnings of the early church. And we could, we could take a long time to talk about what all that means and how it applies to our culture and to our lives today. But here's the bottom line. Were those people's lives changed? Absolutely they were changed. When they went from, if you think about this, in Acts chapter 1, there are a group of people who were hiding in an upper room, waiting for who knows what. They still didn't understand what was going on. They were probably scared to go outside. We know that from John chapter 20. There's this difference that happens that in Acts chapter 1, they're they're confused and wandering. And in Acts chapter 2, they changed the world. What made the difference? The difference was... The empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because Jesus said, I have a gift for you. I'm promising you something more. So what made the difference? Let me give you just a couple of thoughts. And, and just for the record, in case some of you are whatever, we're drinking from a fire hose here tonight, right? We're covering a lot of stuff. Okay, what made the difference? I, I love this verse. Acts chapter 17, verse 6 in the, in the King James Version. And when they found them, uh, and when they found them not, this is, uh, this is old English here. When they found them not, they were looking for the believers. These are the people that are persecuting them. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren, brethren means the disciples, unto the rulers of the city, crying, 
These that have turned the world upside down are come here hither also. Now, difficult to understand, but isn't that a cool phrase? These who have turned the world upside down. The followers of Jesus Christ literally changed the course of human history. Um, there's a, there's, and, and this is totally an aside, but I would challenge you with this. There's an, a wonderful book called Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. Uh, Who Is This Man by John Ortberg. If you ever want a, a, an easy read, a great read on who Jesus was and how his life made a difference in our culture and our society, um, it, will, it will challenge you. It will um, stir you to want to be active in your faith, and you'll learn something about um, the difference that Christianity has made in our world and our culture. And in a world and culture that likes to beat down Christianity and Christian history, right? It's essential reading for us, even in defending our faith. Who is this man by John Ortberg? Great book. Um, They changed the course of human history. They turned the world upside down. Why? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you've you've been through our membership class, then you've heard some of these things before. So I apologize for repetition. And you can just kind of sit and nod your head emphatically. How's that sound? That'll, That'll be great. But this power experience is something that God is still doing today. And when you have an encounter where you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes you. I had the, the um, I'll give you a couple examples. I grew up in a church that um, on a regular basis talked about these things. And um, I, had a, I had a great desire to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I prayed for it and I sought for it. God, I want this, this subsequent experience of your power for a long time. And I remember there was a, a night we had a church service and I came and I prayed and I was at, at the altar and I prayed and said, God, I want, I want everything that you have for me. And I experienced this gift. And when I did, I was, I was ecstatic because it's this spiritual empowerment that you feel. It's this powerful thing. If, if you've had it, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so, so and we'll get to this here in just a moment. But I left there. I was like 14 or 15, I think. So I, they weren't letting me drive yet for whatever reason. And um, my parents weren't there. So I had to call my dad. We had this phone that was attached to a wall at the church. It was really weird. And I called my dad and I said, hey, the service is done. Can you come pick me up? So my dad came, picked me up. We were driving home. And I just had this most incredible spiritual experience of my life. And my dad looks over and says, mom says we've got to stop and get milk. I'm like, we're not getting milk. Take me somewhere so I can tell people about Jesus. You know, I'm just, I'm fired up. And I remember walking into this convenience store at the corner of Parkman Road and Lover's Lane in Warren, Ohio. And I remember walking to the back and pulling a half gallon of milk out of the little cooler. And, and I walked up to that uh, little, you know, conveyor belt and set the thing down. And I looked up at that lady that was, um, I almost said checking me out, <laughs> which wouldn't have been the right thing to say. <laughs> Not that it doesn't happen, but you know what I mean. It's, uh, sorry, sorry. So I'm looking at this lady who's the ch- checkout line. And, um, and all of a sudden, there was this something that happened to me. And I saw her f- for her soul. Does that make sense? And I had this compassion for her 
does she know about God's love? Does she know about who he is? And I'll just be real honest, that was, that was new for this pretty self-centered 14-year-old. And it was this change that the Holy Spirit brought. I got a, I got a friend who I just deeply, deeply admire. He is, of, of the pastors I know, he is um, one, of, one of my heroes. And uh, we were having a conversation one time, and he said something to me about um, how angry he could get. And I laughed out loud. I was like, you, I know you so well. I've, I've known you for years. I've never seen you angry. And I've seen you in situations where you should have got really angry. I says, I just can't imagine you ever being an angry person. He said, oh, you didn't know me when I was younger. He said, when I was younger, I had a violent temper. He said, I was known as a very angry person. I'm like, I don't, I don't see it. What happened? And he looked at me and he said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When I experienced that empowering experience from the Holy Spirit, my life was never the same. Several years ago, many of you would know Brianne Smithia that attends here. Her, her mom and dad, Isaac and Terry Smithia, are missionaries in Uruguay. Several years ago, Richie been there a couple of times, right? Several years ago, I was in Uruguay, and part of the ministry that they coordinated there was a, a teen challenge center. It was a drug rehab center. And uh, they would have um, particularly young men, and they had a home for ladies as well, that would come there, um, you know, sometimes ordered by the court in, in desperation to get past their addictions. And so we were, uh, we were traveling from one place to another, and we were on this bus, and Isaac had some of the students there at the Teen Challenge Center, at the rehab center, who were on the bus with us. And so as we're traveling, he had them get up and tell their testimonies. So they'd tell them in Spanish, and then Isaac would interpret them into English for us. And they'd begin to tell their life stories. And they would tell stories that would just break your heart about abuse and about abandonment and about how they found themselves in a place of addiction um, in the tragedy that had come to them in their lives. And, and they would talk about the drugs that they had taken. And they would talk about the places where they were. And then they would talk about how they came to Teen Challenge. And they would talk about how there they found a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, man after man, as they were telling their story, would say, and when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, when I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was then that the addiction was broken in my life. So when Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. That's what he's talking about. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that being said, let's get to the weird part. What does he mean when he talks about speaking in tongues? Because for some of us, that's, that's, a, that's a sticking point. We saw a pattern, right? Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. That in those times when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they spoke in tongues. What does that mean? Well, Acts 2.4 says that they spoke in a language that they had not learned as the Holy Spirit empowered them. And for many of us, that's this, whoa, that's kind of a, it's kind of this weird, that's, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. How would I speak in a language I don't know? And does that mean I'm possessed? I mean, how does that, like, what, what does all that mean? And you've probably heard things like maybe, Hey, that was for a time in the past, but it's not for today. You may even have heard, I'm going to guess some of you have even heard, that this whole idea of speaking in tongues is something that's from the devil. I mean, there's these different thoughts. I had someone make an appointment with me probably five, six years ago, and they, they came in to the church and sat down and said, Pastor, we, we really like you. And I'm like, well, that's great, I like you. And we really like this church. Well, that's great, this church really likes you. And, uh, and they said, but we can't attend here. And I said, Why? And they said, because our friends say that you speak in tongues. 
at this church. And I said, well, we believe that that's a, that's a gift that God still gives to people. Yeah, we believe that that still takes place. Well, we can't attend here because we don't, we don't speak in tongues, so our friends say we can't come here anymore. And I said, well, your friends are wrong. <laughs> I mean, I think all of you have been here long enough. We don't, we don't make it a criteria. We don't have people um, check you at the door, you know, and go, hey, you speak in tongues. I mean, we don't, you know, when was the last time you had a tongues check coming in the sanctuary, right? We don't, I mean, I don't mean to make light of it, but right, it's truth, right? Here's what we believe. We believe that if the Bible said it happened in New Testament times, is God still doing it today? Okay, and we believe. Now, I also believe this. Sometimes, some churches, some places, people make such a big deal out of this stuff that they make it seem like it's the only thing that matters. But Scripture doesn't do that. In fact, Scripture speaks about it so that we understand that it's a normal part of our Christian experience, and it corrects the places where there's error. And then it assumes that we will want everything that God has for us. Because ultimately, don't we want just more of what the Holy Spirit has for us? So what is this experience? We believe this. This is the pattern that we've seen. Okay, That when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, that that internal reality will express itself in this physical sign. The pattern is that someone will, will speak in tongues. That they'll speak in a language that they have not learned. Um, and I don't have time to, to unpack the whole thing for you. I've heard of stories where people do it and they speak in a language that's, that's an, an, a human language. It's from another country. The story of a guy who was from Germany who hears someone speak in tongues and it's in a perfect German dialect. Sometimes it might not be in an earthly language. Sometimes it could be in a heavenly language. I'm pretty sure we're not going to speak English in heaven, right? I hope not. There's too many weird rules. Okay, there's, there's, there's this reality. And I know some of this is difficult to understand. And when you read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, it talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of those gifts is that there are times, even maybe in a public worship setting, where someone will, out loud in a verbal way, speak in tongues. And then in that setting, then someone else should give an interpretation. That when that happens, that's, that's a way, and you can read this, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, this is biblical. That's a way in which God communicates with us at times through His Spirit when there's a message that He wants to convey to his body and it happens in different places and, and, and it happens, it's to happen biblically, it says with, with, um, with decency and with order it's supposed to happen in a way that brings God glory and where some people get kind of freaked out is they read 1 Corinthians 14 and they say to themselves, look if, if the Holy Spirit works in my life and I speak in tongues then that means I'm going to have to stand up in front of a group of people and say something and that weirds me out so I'm tapping out of this one I'll, I'll love Jesus, but I don't know that I'm signing up for this whole baptism in the Holy Spirit thing. And it goes so much deeper than that. Look, we've already talked about spiritual superiority, right? And, and, and we, don't, we don't wave a, a patriotic Pentecostal flag and say, look, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. Or if you don't speak in tongues, you're not as spiritual as Bill McGinnis. He's not here so I can pick on him. You, I mean, we don't, we don't say those things. Here's what we say. The Bible says... There's more for you, and I want you to have everything that God has for you. And there's this, let me, let me just park here for just a minute. Look at this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. It says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So here's, here's how this plays out. I, I can't explain it for you. I don't, I don't know how it all happens. And there is no pattern. And if anybody ever tells you, look, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or if you want to speak in tongues, 
Just start repeating these words, and as you say them faster and faster, it'll happen. That's just, that's Harry Potter. That's not the book of Acts, right? Okay, I mean, I'm just, let's just be honest, okay? So you seek for Jesus, right? You seek for more of God. The point was this. Jesus didn't give the disciples this whole list in Acts 1 and say, pray for this, 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 and this. What did he say? You pray and ask God to give you the gift that he has for you. And when you do that, in his time and in his way, he will fill you and he'll empower you. If you ever spend time in God's presence and seek him, have you lost out? No, right? There's not some goal or trophy or, hey, I got the speaking in tongue badges in Christian Boy Scouts, right? It's not... It's not that at all. It's God, I want everything that you have for me. But scripture does speak about this idea, and let's just be candid about it, about speaking in other tongues. And about, Paul talks about it here, about when we, how's, how's he say it here? Anyone who speaks in a tongue, anyone who prays in a tongue, he talks about this. When I pray with my mind, my mind and my mouth, my, my mind is fruitful. I know what I'm praying, and I know what I'm saying. But when I pray in the spirit, then with my spirit and then out of my mouth. My spirit is fruitful. My mind might not know, and this is where some of us have a disconnect. My mind might not know everything that I'm saying, but, but my spirit does in this way. Look at this, verse, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14. This is from the message version. He says, if you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. If you're, if you're married and you've been married for any season of time, or you have like a really, really good friend, can you just make eye contact with that person and know what they're thinking? Do you know what I'm talking about? If, if, if you and I are ever talking and my wife walks up and I give her a certain look, we're talking about you. <laughs> right? I can do that with Pastor Bill, too, sometimes. So if you walk up, and I look at Pastor Bill, and I go, that means something, right? Okay? Because there's certain people that you have such a relationship with that you can share intimacies with that person in communication just between you and them. That's what this empowerment of the Holy Spirit allows you to do with God. Because when I just pray with my mouth and with my mind, then my mind is fruitful. But there are times when I pray in the spirit and then my spirit is fruitful. Let me give you one quick for instance. Um, probably 2005, I'd been the pastor about a year here at Calvary and faced, quite honestly, probably one of the, the, the biggest leadership challenges um, that I've ever had. And I had to make some decisions that no matter what decision I made, it was, I was going to lose. Does that make sense? Somebody wasn't going to like it. Somebody was going to get hurt. It was, it was, it was, there was no way to have a win-win. And I had gone back and forth on what do I do? What decision do I make? How do we go through this? And I had been praying about it. Don't think I hadn't. But for months, it was just like, what do we do? And how do we move this thing forward? And one day, I just, I'd reached a point where I just said, I just can't do this anymore. And if you remember um, our building on Glendale, I went into the sanctuary, and our building on Glendale, and we had that... Um, I think it was called Holy Ghost Orange was the carpet that we had. And, and, I, and, I, and I, just, I just kind of stretched out on the carpet at the front of the altar. And I just said, God, I don't know what to do. And I don't know what the answer is. I just know I can't do this anymore. And in the process of that, I used this gift 
that God had given to me, and I began to pray in the Spirit. Now, look, my mind wasn't fruitful, so I can't tell you what I prayed. I don't know, I don't know what words I was praying, but my spirit did. And in that moment, I connected with God in a way that I couldn't with my mind. I did it in my spirit. Does that make sense? Like you pick up the bat phone, the red phone that goes right to the president. It was like that, that direct connection. And I just began to pray in the spirit. My mind wasn't fruitful, but my spirit was. Now, I don't know what I said, and I honestly don't know what God said back to me, okay? I just know this. I know that when I was done praying, I stood up. And as I walked out of the sanctuary, I not only knew exactly what I needed to do, but I had the courage to do it. And I didn't have either one of those until the moment when I was able to share intimacies with God just between me and him. So what does all this mean? Well, let me just talk to you about the more, okay? One last passage of scripture, and if the worship team could come, that'd be awesome. Thanks, guys. Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and if you're a child of God, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So tonight, I, I just want you to say, God, I want more. Jesus, in the same way that you promised the disciples that there was a gift that was for them, it's a gift that I want to receive from you as well. And we're going to take some, some time, a few moments to worship here tonight. And then uh, we're going to take some time and pray tonight and seek the Lord and, uh, and, and to pray together. Um, and just ask him. And, and I, I, could, I could talk to you about what you need to do or how you need to do this or all this kind of thing. I just, I just want you to do this. If you're, if you're hungry to say, God, I just want everything you have for me. God, I just want more of you. Would you just seek for that? And then allow him in his way to pour out his Holy Spirit on you tonight. So would you stand with me tonight? Just uh, all over the room. Thanks for your patience and for your attention here tonight. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you're comfortable, would you just lift your hands to the Lord? And you're here on a nice Wednesday night in June. Which means you you didn't come just on a whim, but you're here for something from God. So with your hand raised, would you just begin to ask him for that? God, I want more from you. And I'm not going to get caught up in all of the things that could distract me. But instead, Lord, I'm just hungry for all that you have for me. I'm just hungry for more of you here tonight, Lord.
we just take a moment and in whatever way would you just open yourself up and say Holy Spirit I surrender Like for somebody here tonight, that's the that's the first step towards more in your life is this idea of surrender. Because there's something that uh, hinders the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And it might be a, a sin that you just keep coming back to, or it could possibly be a fear that you just won't let go of. Maybe it's a status that you cling to outside of God. Maybe it's just a thing you're white-knuckled about. You just can't let go of it. But you know you want more. Be a moment just to say, God, I surrender. I want to take a moment and invite you to come to this altar and in particular if you're here tonight and you would say um, Jesus you promised the Holy Spirit as a gift from the Father to those who believe and that it would empower me to live my life for effectiveness for you and I need that tonight you know, you know what's going on inside of you. And I'm inviting those of you who would say, God, tonight, we use that word desperate in that last song. And you said, God, I'm desperate for more. And Nancy, could we go back and sing that part? It's just like a rushing wind. And, and maybe even if we just scale it back a little bit, it would be great. But as we sing this, if you say, God, I'm, I need more, I need the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm going to invite you just to come and stand right down here and, uh, and just to continue to worship him. So Nancy, can you lead us in that? You don't need any fanfare. If that's you, God, speaking to your heart and you say, I need more, would you just come right now and let's seek him together? Like a rushing wind, Jesus breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your rushing wind
okay, here's what I believe. I, I believe this. I believe God can do more in 30 seconds than we can do in 30 minutes. Does that make sense? So here's, here's what we're just going to do. We're going to seek the Lord for the next few moments. And, and man, we may even want to bring the sound down a little bit. I'd invite you guys just to continue to lead us in worship. But I want to I create an environment. If you're here and you say, God, I need more of you in my life, I just want you to seek him. And that's not just you at the altar. That's you in your seats. And we probably won't even have a real formal, hey, go home now kind of thing tonight. We're just going to leave it open for you to seek the Lord. And here's what I would ask. If, if there's those of you... That, that as I talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we talked about speaking tongues, we talked about that whole thing tonight, but you just, you just say, that's what I need. I need God's empowerment in my life in that way. And that's what I'm seeking for. I need that experience in my life. Would you just raise your hand? Just kind of just, just a faith move. That's you. You say, look, I need that. That's what I need. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm seeking. If that's you, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. I'm going to invite you not to think about this idea of speaking in tongues. Because that's just going to weird us out, Right? I'm going to invite you to do this. You, if you want a gift, what do you do? You seek the giver, right? And you say, look, we already know that the Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to his children whom he loves. And so say, God, I want everything that you have for me. And I would encourage you that as we sing, that you begin to express that with your mouth. That you begin to say that from your heart. That you just don't... Sometimes I think we, we say, God, I, I want something more from you. And then we just kind of stand there and we wait. And he's like, look... I want you to seek it. I want you to ask for it. And allow him to work and move in your life tonight. Um, some of you may even feel led to come and pray for some other people. Maybe those of you that, that have been filled with the Holy Spirit, you've, you've experienced that in your life. I'm asking for nothing weird, okay? Everybody good with no weirdness? No weird zone? But if you want to come and just pray with someone and encourage them, place a hand on their shoulder and ask for God to empower them with his Holy Spirit, I would ask that you would do that in these next few moments. Worship team's going to continue to lead us. I just want you to do this tonight. I want you to seek the Lord for everything that he has for you. And if tonight you walk out and you go, God, there's still more, then don't think you have to do it in this room. I've heard of people who have had this empowerment experience in their home, in their car. Um, I, I, I've got a friend that left church. He was so frustrated because he felt like he didn't have everything God wanted for him. Laid in bed and talked to God and he... He, he got filled with the Holy Spirit just laying in bed, which sounds very comfortable, doesn't it? I mean, just ask the Lord for everything that he has for you and let him fill you with that as we worship him tonight. So would you just be open to that, just to lift your hand, especially those of you that are seeking something more from God. Father, we're here tonight as we exalt you, as we continue to worship you. Lord, we pray that as we seek for what you have for us, as we open up our hearts and our spirits, God, would you pour out your spirit on us here tonight? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.